When I was a kid, I used to like to invent things. And the best thing I ever invented was this thing called the push cart. And you guys know the push carts, right? You run behind them, you push them. Now, the way I made this push cart is I got this big drawer. It was about this, this wide and this in length, about this deep. So, I mean, massive drawer. I could sit in it. I took this drawer and I put it upside down. I put this two by six um, and nailed it to the drawer. So then I flipped it back around so I was sitting in the drawer and that was my push cart. Now it needed wheels. So in the front of the two by six, I put a two by four about this length and I drilled a hole in it and drilled a hole in the two by six, put a bolt so the two by four would go back and forth at the front of the two by six. Put two wheels in the side of it and uh, put bolted two wheels in so they would turn. And then I put strings and nailed them to the two by four on either side so I could sit now in the drawer and pull on the strings and my front wheels would turn. The steer, it was great, it was a wonderful invention. Put some wheels on the back, and I mean, this, this push cart was amazing. This push cart was fast. I designed this push cart to go extremely fast. I designed this push cart to steer. I designed this push cart to win against any push cart that ever came into contest with. But I did not design this push cart to flip over. I did not design this push cart to roll into a block wall fence going 30 miles an hour. It wasn't designed to do that. So when that happened, it blew up. Like it just went into shambles. And uh, it, 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 was, it was a horrible situation. I built it for one thing and it did another thing. It wasn't my fault. It was the car's fault. But it really annoys me when I see people doing something and, and uh, with something that it was not designed for. You know what I mean? Is that, does that know anybody else out there? When you see something designed for one purpose and they use it for a completely different purpose. Let, let me give you an example here. All right, Adam, flip up the first side. Here's, here's the first example. Like, that's incorrect usage. That's not right. I don't know why people put a car, uh, you know, into a, where a car window should be, they're putting in this house window. All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, not what it's intended for, okay? Good idea. Now, that, that actually might even use that one sometimes. It sounds like a college guy's idea. But then every time you iron your clothes, it's going to smell like burnt spam. But okay, so let's keep going here. What's, what's our next one? Yes, not designed for that purpose. Not what the AC unit was designed for. Incorrect use. And we got one more. Okay, yes, not, not the will of the designer there. Get a hedger. Get a hedger. That's what I say. Get a hedger, not the mower. So basically... You understand what I'm talking about? It, it's, it's so annoying. If that was my neighbor, I'd be so annoyed at my neighbors. Like, what are you doing with the crane and the, and, the, and the lawnmower up on your bushes? That's ridiculous. So it absolutely annoys me. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you following God's design for your life? Right? You were created with a purpose. You were created, you were put together with God thinking you up for a purpose, for a design, for a will of his. Are you living that out? I'm going to put a list up here on the screen. Look at this list. Relationships that don't work, marriages that don't last, fears that control us, loneliness that haunts us, addictions that imprison us, jobs that bore us, debt that consumes us, guilt that depresses us, future that discourages us. Now, would you agree with me that these things are not necessarily God's will for your life? Can I get a head nod? Are we, can we agree on that? Okay. Well, yet, most of us, as Christians, as the body of Christ, as believers, would have to claim at least two or three or more to, de to defining factors of our lives. So, 
What's going on here? What, what, what's, why do we have so many people deciding to follow Christ, as we all have, but yet his will is not happening in our lives? And what is his will? If we know this is not his will, what, what is his will for our lives? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about how to find God's will, how to God find God's plan for your life. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We are in the Roman series. For those of you who are new this morning, we're in a Roman series, Romans chapter 12. It's called R12. Um, we just started the series last Sunday. Dwayne uh, spoke on uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it was on sacrifices and being uh, in your, living out a lifestyle of worship. Uh, and this morning, we're going to talk on Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it reads like this. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this morning we're going to find, out, find the answer to this question. How do I find God's will for my life? And if you read the verse, you realize that there's a no and yes proposition here. There's a negative command, and then there's a positive command, and then you get the results of finding God's will. So first, uh, Romans is telling us that uh, we need to say no to the patterns of this world. You can't conform to the patterns of this world. But my question was, why? Why not? Why, why is God so down on fun? Why is God so down on the world? I mean, we see all these people having a great time around us. It's wonderful, and they're enjoying it. And we crave it. My, my sinful nature craves what the world has to offer. I'm like, God, why are you so down on that stuff? What's, what's up with that? You know, you know the reason why? Because it's all lies. It's all counterfeit. The world doesn't deliver what it says it's going to deliver. And as your heavenly father who loves you, God is saying, don't turn to those patterns because they're going to lead to destruction. They're going to permanently damage you. They're going to kill you. When you think about it like that, it's pretty obvious why God is pretty down on the world. And by the way, God isn't even down on fun. He loves that fun. What he's down on, he's down on pain. God created a life for us to live, and he said, look, if you, if you live this way, it's going to mess you up. You're deceived. You're dealing with Satan, the master of all lies, the deceiver. He's going to deceive you. And if you're there following the world and the patterns of it, you're in for destruction. So, in order to find God's will for our lives, we have to stop. We have to stop ourselves from being molded and influenced by the pressures of this world. We have to stop. That's so important. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then it names it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Let's stop right there. there that's just what I said. That's why Christ does not want us to follow the world, because the world is going to pass away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of, the, of God abides forever. God is watching your back. That's why he's telling you, don't believe the world. And let's, let's face it, the world's good at what they do to try to convince us it's the right way to go. 
We have so many Christians that are so deceived into thinking that, well, this is okay, this is all right, when they don't realize that they're just believing a lie. If they would study the scripture, it says something completely different. Look back at John, 1 John 2.15. In this first verse, look how many times the word love shows up. Do not love the world. If, if you're one of those people who like to circle stuff in your Bible, um, this would be a great time to do it. Do not love, circle love, the word love, the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves, there it comes again, the world, the love, there it is again, of the Father is not in him. Guys, it's not about a bunch of rules. It's not a set list of rules. We could look at this world and make it a bunch of rules. Say, we're allowed to do this, but you can't do this. Okay, but if you do this, but only in that situation. But then this situation, you can't do that. But then in this, you can do that. But then do this sometimes. This, this you can like, but you can't like this. And that's confusing. And that's not what Christ is asking us to do it by, by, tearing, by not conforming to the patterns of this world. He's not saying, here's a rule book for you. Guys, it comes down to it's all about love. It's all about love. It's about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because whatever you love, that's what you're going to serve and follow. And Christ isn't setting out a rule book for us. He's saying, look, love me. Because if you love me, then you'll desire me. And when you desire me, then we'll have a relationship. And when we have a relationship, you'll get to know me. Then when you interact with the world, you'll automatically know, if I love that, well, you're going to love it. If that's sin and I hate it, you're going to hate it. If you want to know how tight you are with God, look at yourself and the things that you love and the things that you hate. Does that line up with God? You and God are pretty tight. If it doesn't, then you need to get to know your Heavenly Father a little bit more. If the things that you love, the same thing that God loves, and the things that you hate are the same thing that God hates, that's what God desires. He desires a relationship. He doesn't desire this rule book to be thrown in your face and do this, don't do this, do this. It's actually pretty simple when you think about it. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You can't love the world and love God. So we look at this 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It nicely sets out the patterns of the world so that we can identify them. It nicely sets it out for us. It says, in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, and then listen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there we go. Those are the three things, the pattern of this world. When we talk about the patterns of this world, we're talking about three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the passion to feel. And you know what I'm talking about. Look at our culture. You have, I mean, it's a huge God. It's, it's food, it's sex, it's drugs. It's all these things where the world, it's just feel. Next feel, after next feel. I gotta, I gotta feel more, I gotta feel this. It's, I gotta feel, I gotta feel. And if I'm not feeling, then I gotta find something that I'll feel. It's, it's, a, it's a whole lust of the flesh. It's all about trying to feel. It's pleasure. I want pleasure. That's one of the patterns of this world. The next pattern is the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the eyes is the passion to have. Possessions. I gotta have this. Oh, I gotta have, I gotta have this car, and then I have to have this house. I gotta have this type of a phone, and then I'm gonna upgrade every three years, and then I gotta have this type of a, a, a tractor, and then I gotta have this type of a school book, and I have to have this type of a, I gotta go this place, and this time I gotta, I gotta have all this stuff. It's a huge trap that we as Christians gotta watch out. It's a pattern of this world that you live after the things that you have, your possessions. And the third one that First John talks about is the pride of life. This is the passion to be. 
This is position. This is, I want to be famous. I want to be well-liked. I want people to look at me and think, wow, that's a great person. I want to be a celebrity. And there you have it. Those are the, those are the three patterns of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things pull at us every day. And they're trying to, they're trying to get you to, to, to suck into this, this system. Because if you follow those three things, in the end, you will not make it. You won't. If those are your God, you're going to find out it's empty. It, it doesn't lead to anything but eternal death. And that's why God is so passionate about saying, look, follow me. It's not that he's this God who, who, who just wants to control your lives. He loves you, and he does want to control your lives. But not for the sake of control, but the sake that he knows what's best for you. And if you follow him, you will find life. If you follow this world, you're not going to. The reasons why so many people who make decisions to follow Christ yet are not actually being disciples and actually following Christ is because we as Christians are feeding off of the world. And therefore, we're reaping the consequences of that. Relationships that don't work, marriages that don't last, fears that control us, loneliness that haunts us, addictions that imprison us, jobs that bore us, debt that consumes us, guilt that depresses us, and future that discourages us. If you follow the world's pattern, you are going to reap these. It's going to happen. So if these are happening in your life, you need to stop and think, wait a minute, what patterns of the world am I following that I'm reaping these consequences? Because this is not what God has in store for me. Is it even possible? Can we live in this world and not be conformed to its patterns? Can we live in this world and actually stand up for what we believe in and not get sucked into the system? And my answer is yes. We can do that. It's possible. My greatest inspiration when it comes to Bible characters is Mr. Daniel. Okay? Now, Daniel is this kid. He's 15 years old, and he gets totally, <laughs> he gets ripped out of his family situation. They, they're captured. He's brought to Babylon. Now, Daniel, got to say something about Daniel. This guy was brought before the king to be in his program, the king's program. Now, the king's program was to train leaders to rule. Now, Daniel had to be a pretty impressive guy to either to make it into that program. In fact, this was the description of the guys they're looking for for the program. You don't have to turn there, but this is Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. This is the description they were given for the guys who made it into this special program to be leaders. They had to be young men without any physical defect, Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve the king's palace. These had to be the best of the best. I mean, men without any physical defect, handsome, incredible with learning, can just pick up stuff and just learn it just like that. I mean, these, Daniel had to be incredible. He had to be like the Justin Bieber of the pop world. He had to be like the Austin Troyer of Fairlawn Mennonite Church. Like this guy is the top, top guy. So he gets dropped off in Babylon to join this program. I don't know if you guys understand Babylon or not, but this was Sin City. Like this is, this place was horrible. This place made Vegas look like a Sunday school program. Okay, this was incredible immorality, incredible um, abuse, incredible ungodliness going on here. Daniel is a 15-year-old boy dropped off in Sin City by himself with his three other teenage friends. 
Now, I want you to picture yourself when you were 15 years old. And if you're a 15-year-old in here, you don't have to do much imagination. You're dropped off in Vegas. 15 years old, no authority. You're dropped off there and everyone leaves. How hard would it be to stand up for what's right? You're 15 years old from Fairlawn Mennonite Church and you're dropped off in Vegas. And everyone leaves you. It would be pretty hard not to conform. And I'm convinced if Daniel doesn't conform, I'm convinced every one of us in this room cannot conform too. If a 15-year-old kid in Sin City can stand up for what's right and not follow the patterns of this world, I'm convinced we can all do it too. The first test was the food. So they bring out this food and they say, look, if you're part of a school program, here it is. You've got to eat this meat and drink this wine. By the way, it's the king's. Now, what... What, uh, what Daniel understood and what was the truth about the meat was that it was sacrificed to idols. Now, the way they worked it was they would take this meat, they'd sacrifice it to their idols, and then they'd feed their students with the idea that if the students ate this meat sacrificed to idols, the, the idols would basically infest them. Like, then whenever they did something good, maybe they learned their literature real fast, maybe they lifted some weight, they'd be like, oh, look how, look how the idols are helping them. Which Daniel obviously knew that was wrong. He's like, no, my help comes from Christ, and I'm not going to be eating your, your meat sacrificed to idols. So he, he pulled the steward or stewardess aside, and it's like, hey, you know, can I, can I not eat this? And the guy was like, look, I'm in charge of your health, your, your physical fit here. If you don't eat this and you come out, you know, looking scrawny or something, you know, like, I'm going to get my head. My, my, my job's on the, on the line. So, no, you have to eat this. And Daniel's like, look, I really can't eat this. Can I not eat this? And uh, Daniel's like, give me 10 days. Just give me 10 days. That's it. So they gave him 10 days. After 10 days, him and his friends looked way better than the rest of the guys. Now, we obviously know that if you eat meat and drink wine every day, you're probably not going to look that great. And if you eat vegetables and water, which that's what Daniel asked to eat was vegetables and water, you're going to look pretty good. But Daniel didn't know that. I don't think they did those diet researches back then. Maybe he knew it. I don't know. But all he knew is that God commanded him not to eat that stuff. That's all he knew. He didn't, he didn't know all the reasons. He's 15 years old. But he obeyed God. And God came through. He, he came through. He looked great. And nobody died. Nobody was on the line. Lives were on the line there. God came through and helped Daniel out. As he, as he conformed, as he didn't conform to the powers of the world, but he stood for what is right, God came through for him. You guys all know the story about Daniel and the lions. Then I don't even get into that one very much. You know that story. There he is praying. It suddenly became culturally incorrect for him to pray. And he didn't stop, didn't conform. Another test came right through. What happened? He got thrown in the lion's den. Did the lions eat him? No, they did not. God shut the lion. He got, to, he got to hang out with God and the angels in the lion's den and watch God work right in front of him. Daniel has inspired thousands, if not millions, of people through the way he lived his life, and he refused to conform to the world, even though the power of the world came crashing on him, he refused, and he stood up for what was right. So not only did he stand up for what was right, but he also spent time with God praying. Like, he was so dedicated to his prayer life. That's why I got thrown in the lion's den, right? So this, finding out God's plan and will for our life, is a twofold thing. Remember I said that? It's a no and yes. It's a kind of a negative and then a positive command. So the negative command is do not conform to this world, but then you can't just stop there. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to shut down the world and we're going to form from it and then stop. Because you have to then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's the second thing I want to talk about. 
Romans says to no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how are we transformed? Guys, there's three keys I want to give you. Three practical keys of how to be transformed. And the first one is surrender. And we talked about last Sunday. It's so important. That's why he sets up Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 1. So then, once you surrender, then you'll be able to not conform to this world and be transformed by the new of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will actually is for your life. Guys, surrender is so key. And it's funny, too, because... We often fail to see how surrender works. See, we're often looking at our own lives. We're like, oh, I don't want to give up. It's so hard. Surrender's so hard. I can't give up. Oh, it's, I just can't surrender. That's going to be so painful. It's going to be so hard. In my whole life, I've got to lay down at Jesus' feet, and it's hard, hard, hard. What are you getting in return? What are you getting in return? You're getting eternal life. You're getting purpose. You're getting true contentment, true joy, what you're looking for anyways. It's like me Making for myself a little bead string from beads from Walmart, little plastic green, yellow, and red ones, you know, the ones that my little boy plays with. Making it and being like, hey, look what I got. And someone walking up to me and say, hey, Keith, if you give me those beads, I'll give you a whole necklace full of pearls. They're basically priceless. I don't know about that because these beads are, I, I tied these knots myself. And I put these beads on myself and I spent 25 cents at Walmart for them. I don't know if I could really give that in. Like, well, just give it to me. I'll give you this, this necklace full of pearls. I mean, these are priceless pearls. These are the best pearls you can ever find. I don't know about that. Isn't it obvious what I should do? And that's what surrender is. We have this, this life that we're trying to run, and we're messing it up, and we don't know what we're created for. And we don't know how to run, and we're running to the world, and we're believing lies, and we're getting deceived. And Jesus is like, look, surrender to me in my control, and I'll guide you. I'll guide you through it. It's like this, perfect example. I had to think of this the other day. We were eating, me and my little boy David. David is turning two, actually today's his birthday. He's turning two today. And um, so we're eating, and David's eating his peas. He likes peas. He thinks peas are pretty good. So he's eating his peas. I'm sitting beside him, and I'm eating this pumpkin roll made by Lisa, Lisa Bischoff. That's just absolutely amazing. Like this pumpkin roll is like, the cat's me wow. Okay, this, this pumpkin roll is amazing. So I'm, so I'm eating this pumpkin roll, and I'm looking at David inside who's eating these peas. I'm like, this is, this is wrong. I can't be doing this. I said, all right, Dave. I took this. I said, I said, hey, you get your bite of my pumpkin roll. He shakes his head, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? I said, I'm giving you a bite of my pumpkin roll. He's like, no. And he keeps eating his peas. So I take his peas and I set them on the table off his high chair and set them on the table. And I said, David, you got to try this pumpkin roll. It's really good. And he starts screaming. The kid starts going berserk on me. He starts yelling and screaming and throwing a spoon. I'm like, David, what's going on? I said, this, you have no idea how good this pumpkin roll is. He's, he wants his peas. He's reaching for his peas. And I grab the pumpkin roll off the fork. And I'm trying to get it in his mouth. And he's like close his mouth and trying to scream at the same time. I finally get a little bit in and smear it on his teeth. And uh, he's screaming and yelling. All of a sudden, he just stops. He does this. Starts licking his lips. More, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted more. I knew it. I knew that would be his reaction. I think that's God. He's like, look, I got this incredible plan stored up in this incredible life. And it's going to be you to the T. It's going to be just what you've ever desired and ever wanted. I created you when I thought you up. I gave you gifts and personalities. I'll go perfect with this line for you. But yet, you're still munching on peas. You're still trying to do things your own way and run your own life. That's not right. Guys, surrender is so important in being transformed by Christ. 
What would, what would happen, guys? What would happen if you believed that Christ was really for you? That God of the universe was really for you? That he knew your deepest fears. He knew your greatest joys. He knew you more, than, more about you than anything ever, and anyone else. And he was truly for you. See, what I realized was that my problem with surrender wasn't that I had a hard time giving it up. My surrender was, my issue with surrender was, I really didn't believe God was good. I really didn't believe that God really loved me. And that was my problem with surrender. And once I really started understanding how much God loved me, that he was actually for me, how good he was, it became a lot easier. And not the place where I'm, there's still areas of my life I'm trying to surrender to God on a daily basis. But, man, to me, when I, ever, when I just stop and think about it, surrender makes a whole lot of sense, and it's really easy for me to then say, okay, God, this situation is yours. Take it and run with it. You know what you're doing. I'm just going to try to keep up. Okay, the second key to being transformed. First one, surrender. Second one is recognizing that the mind is a battlefield. Don't turn to 2 Corinthians 10, but I'll tell you what it says. It says to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Guys, your mind is a battlefield. You are what you eat, physically and spiritually. You are what you eat. Growing up in his teenage years, I had a lot of issues in my life, a lot of addictions, a lot of stuff I struggled with. I couldn't, I couldn't rip it. I, I would be like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do it ever again. And then, boom, I'd do it again. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. I'd be okay for a week or two, and then I'd do it again. I struggled with addictions. It was horrible. Then I went off to Rosedale Bible College, a college that studied the Word. We had groups about the Word. We had chapels about the Word. We... Uh, I wrote papers on the word of Christ. I, I just studied the word. And I didn't even realize it then. It wasn't until years looking back at that first year at Rosedale, but that's when I lost my addictions. And I put together, what, but, what, but when looking back, I now realize that as I filled myself up with God's word, and as I filled myself up with who God was, and being around people who served God, and, and just got more and more, studied his word, heard his word, I meditated on his word, I wrote papers on his word, I kind of really loved the word of God at that point in time too, that suddenly my addictions started to disappear. And, and I walked away from there a, a new person. I was like, what? I didn't even realize I was a new person until looking back. I was like, wait a minute, I used to struggle with all that stuff. What happened? And, I can't even, and, and, and that's my third point with this transformation process is that it's a supernatural act from God. We don't know how it happens, but it's a supernatural act of God that when we get in his word, we start studying it, and our minds start being renewed, he changes us. I had no idea that to overcome my addictions, all I needed to do was memorize scripture and study scripture and hear scripture and learn scripture and start obeying scripture. I, I had no idea. I just started doing it because I was at Rose of Bible College and God took my addictions and he overcame them. He transformed me into somebody else. Okay, practical steps on how to, I want to talk about God's word a little bit because it's so important with this transforming process. Remember, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to know, the way we do that is to know God's word, all right? So we need to get a firm grasp onto God's word and how do we do that? And um, I'm not going to give you all the references behind this because of time, but um, there are scripture references. There are, in scripture, there are five things that, that, uh, that scripture tells us to do with God's word. We're going to go over those. So just put your hand, if you've got a hand, put it up. Anybody have a hand? Okay, good. put it up. Excellent. All right. Now, the first one is hearing God's word. That's important, all right? So you got your little pinky? So let's put a little pinky up. Everybody put your pinky up. There we go. Hearing God's word, right? That's important. 
Then reading God's word. That's number two, reading God's word. All right. Then we got studying God's word, memorizing God's word, and meditating on God's word. Right there you got it. Those are the five things that scriptures tells us to do with God's word. Is to hear it, read it, study it, memorize it, and meditate on it. By the way, memorizing, remember, remember memorizing uh, Romans uh, 12, 1 through 8. So we as a church are going to constantly try to challenge you in these five areas to keep scripture pulling, pouring, uh, pouring into you and that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, all of these areas are equally important and are commanded from scripture in order to have a firm grasp on God's word. Um, let, me, uh, let me show you how this works. So here we go. So let's say I just hear God's word, all right? I'm just going to hear God's word. It's an okay grasp, but boy, does that come out awfully quick. When I assume they put any pressure on that, it's not a very good grasp on God's word at all. Now let's say I hear, but I'm also going to read it. So I'm going to hear and read. I put it on there. It's better. It's definitely better. A whole lot better. i got a pretty good grasp of God's word, but eh, it doesn't take much to pull it away. Uh, studying God's word. So we can hear, we can read, we can study. Better, but still it's still definitely able to pull that away. Memorizing God's word. Now, if I memorize God's word, man, that is a grip. That is a grip right there. Tell you what. But then you take all that and you meditate on God's word too. You put that in there. Man, you got a firm grasp on God's word. And that's why God tells us in scripture to do that because we need, in order to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to be able to have a firm grasp on God's word. So, I'll explain it real quick just in case some of you guys don't know the difference between these words. Hearing is self-explanatory. It's hearing. Um, reading, you know what reading is. Reading is reading. Studying, that would be taking the section apart, doing some word studies on it, um, talking to some buddies in a group saying, okay, what about this situation? I see this reference here is with this reference. These two apply to each other. Um, you're looking at, um, yeah, a ton of cross references, looking at the Greek, go back to some Concordances, look at the Greek, and you're studying the Word of God. Figure out some practical meaning there. Okay, memorizing, that's where you can say it without looking at it. Uh, we'll have a listening table in the back here. Let's see. I'm anxious to see how many people actually memorize Romans chapter 12, 1 through 8. And go back to the listening table, and if you can say it, and you're not looking at it, or someone's not secretly whispering into your little earpiece, um, that means that you have memorized it. Um, and then meditating. Meditating means that you read it, you think about it, then you read it again, you think about it, and then you read it, then you maybe do some studying, then you read it, and then you read it in this situation, you read it in that situation, you read it here, you read it there, and you just constantly just, it's kind of like the, the whole uh, cow chewing that's cut. You know, you chew on it, swallow it, and you bring it up again. Maybe it's when you write it on a note card in your car, so every time you jump in your car, you see that verse and you rethink about it. That's meditation. That's meditating on it. Okay. And why do we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? So that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, which is attractive, beautiful, satisfying. His pleasing, which is acceptable to God. And his perfect, and that is perfect will, and that, and that is according to design. Maximizing, maximizing your fullest potential in fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Now, I don't want you guys to think for one moment... I'm talking about good, pleasing, and perfect being comfortable, lots of money, um, getting stuff I want. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pleasing to God, perfect for us. Uh, and, and, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about God's will for a little bit, all right? Some of you guys are afraid of following God's will for your life because you think that God might leave you hanging after surrender. 
And I know you are because I was. <laughs> and I am at times. It's sometimes it's, um, it's worrisome to surrender because we're afraid that God's going to leave us hanging. But as in the story of Daniel, we see that God doesn't leave us hanging. So when we surrender everything to God, he's not going to leave us hanging. But know this. God's plan for your life is not necessarily going to be easy or without suffering. In fact, it's probably going to be the opposite. So he's not going to leave you hanging, but it's not going to be all cookies and cream either. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard work. But he's going to be with you every step of the way. When we say no to the world's systems, there are severe consequences. I'm going to say that again. When we say no to the world's systems, to the patterns of this world, there are severe consequences. Daniel and the lion's den. It didn't happen where he prayed anyways and the whole town got saved by him praying at his open window. He was dragged away and he was thrown into the lion's den. But guys, that's what Daniel was created to do. God had built him up in different tests at that point so he was ready for that climactic point in his life where many people would know that there is a God because even when God's servant got thrown into a lion's den or into a burning, fiery furnace, God was with them. He protected them. Guys, can you imagine what it would be to be Daniel in the lion's den? You're falling. You hear the lions roaring at you. They're all, you know, they starve these lions so they'll gobble you right away. These lions are starving. They're throwing you in the lion's den. You're like, this is it. This is it. I'm falling, I'm falling. You hit the ground, and the lions are just kind of hanging out, just walking around you. What's up, man? Just chilling, just chilling around you. And suddenly you recognize that there's God in that den with you, and he's holding those mouths of the lions shut. Can you imagine the intimacy with God, feeling God's love at that point in time? Little Daniel got thrown in there, and God's right there with him, saying, hey, man, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm right here with you. It's not easy. It was hard for Daniel. It was stressful. It was incredibly painful. But God was there with him every step of the way. And there was nothing more perfect, there was no place more perfect for Daniel to be than in that line, than at that point in history, in that point of his life. Let me, let me see if I can explain this to you without, because I really want you to catch this point, but I don't want to insult anybody, okay? I'm, I'm going to see if I can explain this. Don't get offended by this, okay? I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to say it. All right, here we go. I, I don't like living in Ohio. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, all right? Let me explain. I'm going to explain to you. It'll make sense. First issue with Ohio is you got rain and clouds everywhere, everywhere you go. I got, I'm bipolar. I think I'm officially bipolar now by hanging out with Ohio's weather for a while. Um, it's, it's rough for me. You know, I moved from Phoenix where it's just constant sun. Phoenix was great because, you know, all the new forecasters graduated from forecast school. They just went out there because every day, sunny, high 80s, sunny, high 80s, sunny, high 80s. They said the same thing over and over again, so they wouldn't have to be really good. Tell you what. You guys have the best forecasters here there in Ohio. Man, they got to be on top of it. I mean, you got the best of the best here because of your weather. Um, the second thing I don't like about Ohio is the intersections and roads. I was driving the other day, and there's a sign that says dangerous, or it said warning, dangerous intersection ahead. What do I do? Where's the rest of the information? Like, am I supposed to stop, slow down, so turn around? Like, okay, it's dangerous intersection ahead. Why are we putting up a sign? Let's fix the intersection, you know? I was worried. But, and it, and it was a dangerous intersection. I mean, and, then, and then you guys don't believe in medians in your road in Apple Creek, Ohio. Apple Creek don't have medians. I found out the hard way. I, I'm crossing the street, pitch black, it's raining. 
This car's coming. I see headlights coming this way, headlights coming that way. I'm like, well, I can at least make out the median before that car hits me. So I'll just step out of the median of this car. I'll get by fine. So I step out into the median, look down. That's not a median. That's two yellow lines going right down the center of the road. There's no median there. About that time, the car, whoom, going behind me here. Another car in front of me, whoom, going back there. And I realized the car this behind me was a cop car. I'm like, oh, great. I don't know if they pull people over for jaywalking around here or not. And I, I about got killed. Cars are whizzing by me. And it's pitch black, and I'm in the rain just saying, I hope they see me. My prayer life was increased. But, um, but you know what? I don't like living in, in Apple Creek, Ohio. But there is no place... I would rather be right now with my family and I than Apple Creek, Ohio. There is no place. If I would get a job offer for some church in some really nice warm climate, I would say no to it. Because this is where God has called me and my wife and my kids. And there is no place I'd rather be. I absolutely love this church. I absolutely love all of you. I love the youth. They call me 2 o'clock in the morning. Tell you what, I'm out of bed real fast with a smile on my face and I'm ready to help them. I love the people in this small town. I have never experienced such contentment, such joy, such peace from Christ than being in his will right here. You couldn't, you couldn't pry me away from here. It'd have to be only God himself that could draw me away from this place. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am in God's will. And when you are in God's will, it doesn't matter how bad the weather is. It doesn't matter how bad the little town or the streets are. It doesn't matter how much people are making fun of you. It doesn't matter how much you're trying to make it and you just fail your over and over and over again. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. What matters is that you are in God's will and there is no other place that you were designed to be. So when you are in there, you are going to find your fullest potential. You're going to find the best thing designed for you is in God's will. I'm going to close up here. But as a recap, I want, I want to just recap on this one thing is some of you guys are, are scared of surrender, going to surrender, because you're scared God's going to call you to Africa. It's true. Some of you out there are like, I ain't surrendering because I surrender completely to God's will. I'm going to Africa. I don't want to, I hate lions. I ain't going to Africa. But I want you to know something. If God calls you to Africa, you're going to love it. It's going to be you to the T. If God calls you to Africa, you're going to love it. And if God doesn't call you to Africa, it's because he doesn't want you there. What are we so scared of? Why are we so scared of surrender? When we know that God's going to lead us to the place that's going to be what we were designed to be anyway. It's going to fit us to the T. We're never going to find it. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to find such contentment, such joy. It's going to be perfect for you. You're going to finally figure out what you were designed to do. Don't be scared of surrender. Because God's not going to call you to Africa. And if he does, it's going to be perfect for you. It's going to be absolutely perfect for you. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. I'm gonna close by talking to you husbands. Fathers, I'm a husband, I'm a father. It's a hard job. It's a hard job. But listen, you guys are the spiritual leaders of your home. If you guys aren't standing up for what's right in your home, your family's going down. God set the system up that you guys are the leaders. You have to be the ones stepping up and taking the bull by the horns and saying, you know what? This is a pattern of the world. It's not happening in my house. We are going to talk about God's word in my house. We're going to be hearing it. We're going to be speaking it. We're going to be memorizing and studying it and meditating on it. 
Because that's my job as a father. That's my job as a husband. My challenge is husbands, fathers. What are areas in your home life, in your family life, that you are allowing to be patterns of the world? How is the world infesting inside your home? How's it getting in there? Are you letting talk going on that's inappropriate talk? Are you watching things that shouldn't be in your home? Are you listening to stuff that shouldn't be in your home? Are you letting people get mad at each other, relationships biting at each other that shouldn't be in your home? That's a pattern of the world, not a pattern of God. What are you doing to stop the world from getting into your home? And then remember, it's a yes and no thing. It's a yes and no proposition. So you say no to the world, but you gotta say yes to God. So how, husbands and fathers, how are you allowing God's word to be a constant renewing thing in your home? Where you're constantly, you're hearing the word, you're speaking the word together, you're studying the word together, you're meditating on the word together, you're memorizing the word together. Husbands and fathers, what are you guys doing? You're the spiritual leader. This is your baby. You gotta step up and do this. What are you doing? This is my challenge for you guys. In the next 24 hours, I'm gonna be doing this too, okay? In the next 24 hours, it's, uh, it's 11.30. That means tomorrow by 11.30. I want you guys to have accomplished a family meeting where you sit down as a family and you as the father, you arrange this, you sit down with them and you speak up first. And you say, family, I wanna know how is the world's patterns getting into our home and how can we stop it? And you have that conversation with your family. And then you say, okay, item two on the list. How is Christ's word, God's word, being spoken, being uh, read, being memorized, being studied, being meditated on in our house? And, and maybe two or three will pop up. You're like, well, there's a whole two or three left. Let's get those involved too. And fathers, you figure out a way to run your family to be a spiritual leader in your family the way God designed so that when it comes with your family, you can test and approve what God's will is for your family. And you will then be able to know his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. Now, wives, you're not off the hook. Um, if your husband forgets, you are your husband's support. Make sure you bump in the shoulder and say, hey, we need to do this today. Remind him, okay? Be his reminder. Be his support in this. Don't make him do this alone. This is hard. This is hard stuff. You're going to be addressing some issues that and some surrender stuff. It's going to be rough. It's not going to be easy. So be, wives, support your husbands in this. Remind them. Help them talk through it. If they're nervous about it, be right there to help them out. And kids, remind your parents, right? Sometimes they need reminding. So kids, remind your parents. But have this 24-hour meeting. It's so important. Now, I could be up here and I could tell you, okay, guys, we're going on a media fast. We're not going to watch TV for 10 days. We're not going to listen to radio for 15 days. And, you know, I could tell you all that. And most of you would do it. You would do it. You would be like, okay, the pastor said do it, so I do it. And then when the 10 days is up or the 15 days is up, you turn back the radio and you turn back on the TV. And you did what the pastor told you to do. You did it. And hopefully you saw some benefits from it, but you did it. But what changes in the long run? What changes? That's why fathers, you as the leaders of your home, need to look at your home and figure out what needs to change, and then you implement it. You change it. Guys, there's too much at stake to miss this. There's way too much at stake. We were designed for God's purposes, and if we want to live out those purposes and find the contentment, find the joy, and find Christ, and, and it doesn't even come from that. Like, it comes from, it should come from our love for God, not that he's going to give us all this stuff. It should come because we love God so intensely. It should be a byproduct is what we get. But we love God so intently that we want his will for our family. There's nothing else we want more for our family. No Xbox, no car, no financial state that we want for our family 
but to know God's will for us and to be living in that will. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us, and we love you so much. And God, I thank you for all the fathers in this room and, uh, and the, how you've raised them up as spiritual leaders. God, I just pray that you'd give them courage to do this. You'd give them the boldness and the power to do this. God, that you would start transforming us as a church through our families, through our spiritual leaders, through our fathers, and through our husbands. God, we want to be a church that follows your will. We want to be individuals that, that are following your design, not living in broken relationships, not living in messed up marriages, not living in debt, not living in uh, just in, in death, Father, but living in the life that you've given us, God, living in victory. God, we want to accomplish your purposes so that you will be glorified through us. God, I pray that we would be able to not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will then be able to know what your will is for us, God. Father, give us strength as we undergo this task that is extremely difficult. Help us to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Give us a hunger and a thirst for your word and for righteousness that's stronger than any, any crave we have for the world. God, so at the end of the day, we can say, we glorified you with our lives today. In your name we pray, amen.